It's your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back again. Final show of the week and a good one, as always. Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a little bit to talk about the Vikings. Big game for them on Sunday, playing the Jets can clinch the NFC North as uh, as as early as this weekend if they win and the Lions lose. Don't find the Lions being part of a lot of clinching scenarios, but that is still the second place team in the NFC North. Um, Vikings, of course, coming off that 33-26 win over New England, where they gave up some yards um, and some points. New England didn't quite have it as easy against Buffalo on Thursday night. I'll, I'll get into that game a little bit as well later on in the show, but mostly talking Vikings in this case, talking a little bit about Patrick Peterson and uh, his uh, his little dust up with Kyler Murray, what that might mean, and, uh, and and some other and some other elements of this team, including what what is their identity? Eleven games in, um, should we uh, should we know more about it, or should they know more what their tangible strengths are? It's it's weird to me that it still seems like it's easier to identify this team's weaknesses than its true strengths, at least statistically. Um, also going to get into a little bit at the end of the show, a couple of World Cup thoughts. U.S. plays the Netherlands in the round of 16 on Saturday. Big, big match. It's been a good World Cup so far, I'd say, for the USA, making it through group play. They haven't lost yet. Uh, two draws and that big win, one nothing over Iran on uh, uh, earlier this week. But uh, we'll get to that in a bit. First, though, what did I miss? Struck me a little bit watching a little bit of the Wild game on Thursday night, checking out the NBA NHL standings, thinking about the Wolves game the other night. There's a little bit of symmetry with these two teams happening right now. Um, First of all, in the standings, it's almost identical. Um, I know the NHL likes to award a separate category for a shootout loss or tie even though they don't award a separate category for a shootout win, um, in the, in that case, a shootout loss or a I'm sorry, a shootout an o- shootout or overtime loss is what I meant to say. Uh, but they don't distinguish between a shootout or overtime win. Those just count as wins, which has always struck me as a little bit disingenuous. Um, inflates records a little bit. But if you just look at the wild record right now, if we look at it the way the NHL looks at it, eleven nine and two, the two being shootout uh, shootout or overtime losses. I just count those as losses. So let's say the Wild right now, even after beating um, beating the Oilers Thursday night, very good game, uh, are 11-11 and 11 in my book. 11 wins, 11 losses. I don't care how they happened exactly. You lost those games. That is what you are right now. Timberwolves also, um, NBA doesn't distinguish between an overtime loss, which probably is for the best. That'd be kind of weird. In basketball, where, where points are scored more a little more plentiful than goals are scored in hockey, Wolves are also eleven and eleven right now. Um, Wolves obviously playing without Carl Anthony Towns right now. Wild have been without some of their better players for a lot of this season, though they're starting to get healthier at this point now. Getting a you know Jordan Greenway back, getting some of their regulars back. Mark Andre Fleury's been back between the pipes for the last few games now, but. By and large, these two teams just kind of treading water so far through the first 22 games this season um, in a year where they had pretty significant expectations based on last season, right? Wolves 
making it to the play-in and then into the playoffs for the first time since 2018 in the Wild setting a franchise record for regular season points with 113. Now, both teams lost in the first round of the playoffs. Those were close series, but series ultimately that went the other way. So both of them thought maybe, hey, this is a year we could take another step, and it just hasn't really happened so far this season. But if it is going to happen, it's going to happen in the way that we saw each of these teams play the last each of their last games, right? The Wolves on Wednesday, their first game, without Towns, who's out with that calf strain for the for the foreseeable future several weeks, getting a big performance from Anthony Edwards, getting a lot of those hustle plays that they hadn't had, and getting some secondary scoring and secondary efforts um, as well. And that's going to be the key, especially with Towns out. And even, even whenever Towns comes back, this is the formula. They, they kind of got some of that mojo back where, you know, it's not just... You know, it's not just, hey, we're trying to figure this out. We've got new players. Woe is us. Uh, it, it's effort. It's all about effort to a certain degree. And that effort just wasn't there um, in enough consistent ways for, for the early part of the season. You know, it's not like guys aren't necessarily trying hard, but there's a difference between the all out energy of trying to win and the 80 to 90% chance, uh, 89% energy of hoping to win and I feel like the Wolves had a lot of that 80 to 90 percent energy early in the year and I finally saw more of that 100 percent energy in that last game especially from Anthony Edwards and it showed in his performance in that win over Memphis same with the Wild on uh, on on Thursday night this is a difference I don't think it's effort for them I think for them it's just a simple matter of finding the right combinations and maybe they have figured that out and all of it of course centers around their best player, Kirill Kaprizov, just as it does for the for the Wolves to a large degree now with Anthony Edwards. Kaprizov, three points, uh, including a goal against the Oilers, a very star-laden team in their own right um, at Excel Energy Center on on Thursday night. Wild win that game 5-3. to three. Um, A good back-and-forth game. Wild pulled away in the third period. Oilers scored a very late to make it a two-goal deficit, but that one was pretty much in the bag as, as the Finals, you know, final minutes were were ticking down, but wasn't just Kaprizov. They got secondary scoring, and that's going to be again the the thing going forward. What they did so well last year was a they they have a player like Kaprizov who kind of keeps them from too many prolonged losing streaks. Like his overall brilliance, he's just going to have those games where he gets three points and you you stop a slide or you 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 maintain a winning streak, something like that. But he can't do it by himself. He can't be the only one doing it. They've been searching for you know center combinations with him for a lot of the year with Ryan Hartman injured. Sam Steele might be that guy. He's had a good couple games here, scored goals, I believe, in the last couple games. <clears throat> See if that is the right fit, at least for the time being. But you know, more than that, they got a lot of that secondary scoring. Frederick Goudreau chipped in a, a big goal on the backhand on Thursday night. Flurry was pretty good in this game in net, made some big saves, and just the overall play of this team. You know, it's not it's not rocket science, especially in hockey. You get a really good player who can carry you, and you get enough around him. You're going to win more games than you lose. And right now, neither the Wild nor the Wolves have won more games than they lost, nor have they lost more games than they won. They are both exactly 11 and 11 at this point in the season. If we look at the standings a certain way. Where do they go from here will be largely determined by those things I just talked about. 
I'm not making any bold predictions about where they're going, but it's pretty clear as to what will be the key influence in that going forward. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's talk Vikings right now. Vikings beat writer from the Star Tribune, Ben Gessling, who does not, from my own personal experience, only care about Ben Gessling. We'll get into the uh, we'll get into the Patrick Peterson, Kyler Murray stuff um, in a minute, which is kind of interesting. But uh, Ben, more big picture stuff for this team strikes me as interesting, just because they're now nine and two. They've had a little what do they call like a mini buy almost, where they kind of get their bodies right after you know the the double satisfaction of beating the Patriots on a short week and then getting a chance to maybe get healthy. Got Dalvin Tomlinson back at practice this week. Good chance to get a Caleb Evans back this week as well. And then maybe Cameron Dantzler a week from now. Um, How big of a deal is Dalvin Tomlinson? I feel like that kind of got lost in the shuffle when they were still winning most of those games, but he makes a pretty big difference on defense. He does. I, I think he's played awfully well and has provided more pass rush than you would have probably expected based on what he's been asked to do in the past. But I remember Andre Patterson talked about this a lot last year, that Tomlinson had more pass rush skill to his game than people would have expected. And a lot of that comes from uh, he's more nimble. I mean, he was a high school wrestler, and, and you'll hear a lot of defensive line coaches talk about this. And I'm kind of working on a story along these lines as well, but that the balance, the athleticism, the quickness, the coordination, the hand-fighting skill, a lot of that helps defensive linemen in the NFL if they have that wrestling background. So he has a lot of those skills that have translated to being able to get to the quarterback more often than I think people thought he'd be able to do. So I think that is a big deal. Um, You heard Kevin O'Connell talked about it a little bit this week. I think on his X's and O's chat with Paul Allen, it was – that you can make things easier for those linebackers getting to the quarterback just because if it's not Tomlinson getting there, he can take up blockers as well. So putting him next to Harrison Phillips, I think, worked awfully well for them at the beginning of the year. And I think him being back is a is a fairly big deal as they try to get the defense. I, I think the front seven needs help. I think yeah. it has shown that in the last couple of weeks. I think Tomlinson gives them some of what they're going to need going forward. So you're saying it wasn't so crazy when they tried to make Brock Lesnar a defensive end? <laughs> well, no. I mean, it, it's it's there. There's some crossover. And Harrison Phillips also was a was a high school wrestler. Just had a conversation with him about that yesterday. He said he still goes back to his old high school every offseason to wrestle, as he put it, whoever wants a shot at the title. He basically <laughs> said, I've, I've got a better Uncle kids. Rico. Who? What is he doing? I I don't know. I I guess it's. Uh, what what he uh throw a heavyweight i'm gonna throw a heavyweight over these mountains what's he doing yeah well i mean i suppose i said you know do you do you go live with the heavyweights he said hey who's ever in there and wants to go i'll, I'll go that's great but i love it he said he, he brings uh some cash and he'll he'll say I'll, I'll give a couple bucks to anybody who could score a point off me he said so far i uh have not given out any cash wow so, okay uh yeah so it was kind of a fun 
fun anecdote into that thing. But yeah, there is some crossover in that sense. I remember um, Andre Patterson and Mike Zimmer both talking about that, that anytime they had a, a guy who had wrestled in high school, um, that player stuck out to them in the draft because it meant a guy was tough. It meant he knew how to work. Um, and just some of these skills that transfer over in terms of it's me and you, and one of us has got to get to a spot. One of us has got to take advantage over the other. Um, that stuff translates into the NFL. And I think those guys certainly felt that way. You've heard some of the Vikings current coaches talk about that as well. So, um, yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of crossover there. And I suppose it's, it should be no great surprise that a graduate of Apple Valley high school would be, um, talking about wrestling, but yeah, yeah it is true. Cool. Well, is in the, uh, process of maybe making a stretch of a transition here Vikings might be wrestling a little bit right now with some concepts of their own identity of strength just something Kevin O'Connell said on Wednesday when we were out there caught my ear and just that that this is the time of year and we're into December now when teams should a be ascending and b and what he said in particular was that you should know at this point in the year what your strengths are, kind of what what you do really well, and obviously still what you need to work on. And so I'd ask, I would ask you, you know, from from watching them this year, it it still doesn't always seem to me that there is a clear strength other than get the ball to Justin Jefferson. Um, what what do you see as the the main strengths of this team? You know, aside from that, and what has been very good fourth quarter play a lot of times. Well, I think that has been a lot of it. I was just talking to Patrick Peterson about this today for a story I'm working on for later in this week about, and he brought up a lot of the stats about last year. We lost all of these games. And if, if we had been able to win one score games or keep teams from scoring the last two minutes, we would have been like 15 to two. It's like, yeah. And I, I said, yeah, I don't remember exactly what the number is, but yes, it is. It is in that range. That is true. Um, and he said this year it has been we've done the right things in those spots. And there's kind of the the popular understanding that close games involve luck, that they involve some randomness. And, and they probably do. But I asked him that. And he said, I don't think that's the case. He said, I, hmm. I think there is a lot of what we are doing, understanding situations, making the plays that we've made in key spots. You know, I'll have an anecdote about this with Duke Shelley um, in my story on Sunday about understanding the situation that that breakup he makes to the end of the first half against Kendrick Ward, Patriots end up with a field goal instead of a touchdown in a close game, those four points, you're, you're now trying to keep them from scoring a touchdown at the end of the game, rather than saying we can kick a field goal, send this thing to overtime. So those things have cropped up and they feel like that's the thing they do. Well, I, I, I think, yeah, Justin Jefferson certainly has been a big part of it. I think, their special teams, for the most part, at least in terms of coverage and return units, has been awfully good. Um, you know, they, they've forced some turnovers on special teams, especially, and you've seen them do it defensively as well. But those special teams ones are a little more unique when those happen. Yes. So I think that's helped them come through some of these games. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it where they're not protecting Cousins particularly well. They're not running the ball particularly well. Uh, their pass rush has not been great, certainly in the last few weeks. They're getting beat for a lot of big plays. They're not stopping the run particularly well. Um, they have 
kind of just come up with the plays they've needed to make when they've needed to make them. And you could worry about that, I suppose, if, if you feel like those things are not sustainable. And I think it's reasonable to be concerned about that. But the, the belief in that locker room is we have a lot of the behaviors we need to win these close games on a regular basis because we've done so well understanding those situations. The, the situational mastery, as they talk about a lot, they feel like is is really a competitive advantage for them. And I'm glad you brought up special teams. I think coordinator Matt Daniels on Thursday talked a little bit about that kickoff return they had against the Patriots, which is obviously, obviously a huge pivot point in that game. They had been, what, down 23-16 at that moment, right before the Patriots. Didn't the Patriots score on their first possession of the second half of that game? And then, and then that Wangu, uh, Kenny Wangu uh, return brought them back to all square. And you were saying basically it was not something that they had planned much much longer before it actually happened, right? Yeah, Matt Daniels basically said uh, he and, and Ben Kawika, the, the assistant special teams coach, basically drew that play up at halftime. They they felt like they had been leaning on returns that were too complicated schematically. They said, let's figure this out. Let's change some assignments in terms of blocking, and let's go roll this out. And lo and behold, it goes for a 97-yard touchdown. And so Daniel said, I, I feel like, I've gotten in the way of just letting a really talented player go do his thing. And sometimes it's just understanding you have to simplify. And that he said is, you know, first year coordinator kind of trying to figure things out and figure out kind of what the sweet spot is. But yeah, that he said felt like um, what he was doing and then kind of knowing I need to check myself on this and, and switch it up. Yeah. That ends up being a pretty big play in that game. On the flip side of special teams, we'll get into some other stuff here in a minute. I think Greg Joseph missed his fifth extra point yeah. in yeah. that um, New England game, and they've, they've won every single game that he's missed an extra point in this year um, because their only two losses were the, you know, the the blowouts against the Eagles and Dallas. What twenty? He didn't attempt an extra point in the Dallas game. No, he did not. Just a, just a field goal, and he uh, he only tried the uh, the one extra point and made it against. The Eagles, uh, but you know, it, it's still those are you know, the fact that he's I think perfect inside of fifty on field goals this year, but still has the problem with the thirty-three yard one pointers is a weird. Like I don't know why this spans so many years and so many kickers, but Vikings kickers have had a problem with extra points ever since they went to the thirty-three yard distance. It feels like, and opposing kickers like can't miss against them. So it's, it's this weird kind of. Uh, dynamic with the kickers here yeah it is very strange because yeah you kind of think extra points should be fairly automatic and when they make them 33 yards they're they're not as automatic but seems like most kickers have not had much of a problem with them I mean, kickers are are better and, and more accurate and more skilled than they ever have been so you know you, you have kickers that have probably overcome a lot of the challenge that comes with it but yeah i mean it's it's been kind of strange and a lot of it I would have said in the past was is the coach getting in your head is this kind of a thing that is in the back of your mind every time you go to attempt one um, I don't know that that's the case now I, I don't think it's as much of the case at this point um, yeah it has been very strange though that that has become as but as big of an issue as it has and and Joseph, I mean, Daniels is talking about this. Joseph, a lot of those misses are he's 
pushing things to the right. They're pushing it, it, all of almost. Through. I feel like almost all of his extra point misses are pushes. It feels like they are. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a certain element of when he talks about why does the ball keep going to the right that I I can identify with because every time I step onto a golf course, that's sure. what happens. So, like, yeah, I understand the mechanics of how to make a ball that you want to go straight go to the right. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly well versed in the yeah. physics of doing that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's, but that's been the issue every single time. They talked about, well, this is fixable. Well, um, you may need to fix it fairly soon here, um, or somebody else may get the chance to do it. They've been very loyal to Greg Joseph, yeah, but you have to wonder at some point if this does cost them a game and really they they may not be in a spot where it matters enough to lose a game on a close kick until the playoffs roll around and that's not what you want to have it happen no it has a you know vikings fans do not take any solace and it hasn't cost them yet that's not that's not the thing they want to hear they want to hear this they want to hear this guy's going to make his kicks hey the last big Field goal attempted in a Vikings home playoff game. Kai Forbath was nails. Yes, so. he was against the Saints, right? The one that put them yep. ahead temporarily, at least before yep. New Orleans retook the lead before the Minneapolis miracle. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think there's an issue really. I mean, you know, I, I can't think of anything beyond that. The U.S. Bank Stadium—they've been great. Yeah, I don't know why they. I still don't know why they got rid of Kai Forbath in the first place, but that's another story for. Yeah. Another time. Um, and then got rid of Daniel Carlson as quickly as they did. Yeah. Now, that yeah. one. That one. Yeah. That was a. That was. There's a life on. That was a snap judgment. Um, you know, uh, I think this is another strained transition, but I believe when Joseph missed that 37 yarder against Arizona last year, that was also a push to the right. The one that have one that would have won that game. One yep, I'm sure that. It was. Patrick Peterson badly wanted to win and didn't, but got his revenge on what now seems like his number one enemy, Kyler Murray. Um, yeah. This year they got they got that win. Um, you know, Pat Pete did the the video game dance in in that game. Definitely a tribute, an homage, um, and not a good one to uh, to Kyler Murray. And then th- on his podcast this week, not our podcast, not Access Vikings, not Daily Delivery, his own podcast. Um, when talking about Kyler Murray, said something to the effect of Kyler Murray only cares about Kyler Murray. Um, why, you know, maybe you know, aside from this specific relationship, which seems like it has some roots, obviously from them being teammates and Patrick Peterson probably still not liking the way things ended in Arizona. What about Patrick Peterson do you think makes him want to pick this fight or pick any kind of uh, battle with somebody who he doesn't really play against very often? Yeah, I, things did not end well in Arizona. No. I mean, I think that's that's got a lot to do with it. I mean, he's talked at length and a number of times about not feeling respected by Steve Kahn, the general manager there, and, and just in terms of like letting him know, hey, we're moving on. He said that that call never really happened. I think he felt like, especially those last couple of years there there was a lot put on him in terms of having to lead that team and, and have to um, kind of set the tone for groups beyond just the defensive backs or the defense as a whole. Um, and I, I think that's certainly wrapped up in, in some of what has gone on, but yeah, a lot of it, I think it's just the exit was not in keeping with what he felt he deserved after going to eight pro bowls there and, and being as, uh, as, talented and being as productive as he was 
and certainly being as integral a part of that team as he was. So I think a lot of it is still wrapped up in that. But yeah, it, it just ended on a, a pretty sour note, obviously, and uh, continues to be something that is driving him in some capacity or another. Final thought for you, Ben. How do the Vikings keep Mike White off of the scoreboard? We talked about it a lot on Access Vikings the other day, but you know, back up if if there's two things that have haunted the Vikings in past years, and there's more than two, clearly, but if there's two things that uh, people tend to fret about, it is the kicking and it is the backup quarterbacks who tend to have career days, these anonymous guys. And Mike White already had a really good game last week against the Bears. Um, how do they disrupt whatever mojo he's got going on right now well i think getting the pass rush going at home would have a big say in that i mean i think being able to get the kind of pressure they got at the end of the game on mac jones a week or 10 days 10 days ago before the game last thursday thanksgiving night you know what it was Uh um i i think that would help a lot i think that's a big part of what they'll need to do on Sundays, just be able to get pressure on him and and be able to kind of throw him off. But yeah, it, it has been a strange kind of pattern that we've seen. And they've had plenty of backups this year. Nobody that's really kind of torched them probably in the way that we've seen from, you know, Cooper Rush or somebody like that in the past. But, you know, Andy Dalton almost beat him. I guess Andy Dalton's not kind of a, a typical backup. Skylar Thompson looked awfully good before he got hurt in that game. Uh, you know, they, they've had, I guess, Taylor Heineke. I don't know that you call Taylor Heineke a backup in the traditional sense at this point. Um, yeah, they, they've had their moments with those guys. I, I think Mike White is probably a little more nondescript than some of the ones they faced earlier this year. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what, what happens. I, I think it's a game that if they're able to get pressure on him, it should be one that they're able to control that offense. I, I think the bigger concern is – that defensive front and Sauce Gardner on Justin Jefferson, that I mean, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. But that defensive front, I think, is is a reason for concern. If you're if you're looking for concerns in this one, I would put them more on Quinn Williams and C.J. Mosley than I would on Mike White. Yeah, and the and teams that have been able to you know no secret, but teams that have been able to control Corral Jefferson have given them problems earlier this season. I mean, yeah. you saw when they played. You know, some of those earlier games when Jefferson wasn't having much luck, especially against Philadelphia, like they didn't get much going at all in some of those games offensively. So we'll see how they are able to proceed since that is their core identity right now and maybe more to come on that identity as the year goes on. Ben, appreciate it as always. Talk again soon. All right, Mike. Thanks. Good stuff from Ben. As always, a few postscripts from our conversation. Um, One, Matt Daniels was asked about Greg Joseph, the kicker, on uh, on Thursday during uh, there's there's Zoom the Zoom access with coordinators, and he said he's got the utmost confidence in Joseph, mainly because when Joseph has missed these kicks, especially these five extra points, which has him last in the NFL in extra point percentage, and I believe he's 31st in field goal percentage, although all of those misses from 50 yards or more, he's been perfect. I think 15 for 15 inside of 50 yards on field goals, which is the biggest thing he has going for him. But Daniel said basically um, what he likes about him is that he's been able to bounce back from missed kicks. And I agree that's an important trait to have in a kicker. That's something that keeps you from having 
a prolonged slump. Um, it doesn't necessarily keep you from having these one-offs that keep cropping up. And like I said to Ben, they haven't cost them yet, but you don't want to see that costing them at some point in the season. So that's one to watch going forward. If you watched Thursday night, Bills-Patriots. Patriots had a much harder time moving the ball against Buffalo than they did against the Vikings 10 days, uh, not 10 days ago, uh, seven days ago from from that game on, th- on Thanksgiving. Um, Mac Jones caught on camera mouthing something about not liking the short passes, wanting to throw the ball down the field. A couple F-bombs, if you can lip-read pretty well. Said after the game, yeah, he was caught in a moment of frustration. Patriots held to less than 250 yards. So that tells me, um, you know, A, uh, Buffalo's defense still pretty good, even though the Vikings put up some numbers on them. Um, B, sometimes the league is just week-to-week matchups, things like that. But also, we've seen it a few times this year where the Vikings have had a hard time stopping somebody. Then they've come out and either, you know, and and scored a lot of points or vice versa. The Vikings have had, um, you know, yeah, Vikings have had a hard time stopping someone, and then the next week they get shut down, or you know, something something to that effect, where the Vikings are having a a different experience than some other teams and a negative one. And that just goes to the point that I made. Uh, I'm writing about this for Friday uh, on uh, online. Just that, you know, Kevin O'Connell talked earlier this week, I brought this up with Ben, about their identity, that this this is the time of year where you should be getting better, and you should know what your strengths are. And it's just strange to me that at this point in the year, the Vikings' strengths still feel so much dialed into the intangibles of, a hey, beyond, you know, Justin Jefferson is great, get the ball to him, it's winning close, it's turnovers, it's making plays when they matter most. And maybe they've just kind of figured out the secret sauce of the modern NFL that you don't have to dominate all these statistical categories. What you do need to do is save your best moments, save the the plays that you think will work or the calls on defense that you think will work for those moments when they matter most. Maybe that is the new way of living in the NFL, at least if you don't have a roster that is so much more dominant than anyone else. But it still strikes me as odd. They're, they're not great statistically in any real measure. DVOA with football outsiders, they're 22nd right now. They're not better than 20th in offense, defense, or special teams in that DVOA. They're like in the 20s in stopping the run, stopping the pass, running the ball, and throwing the ball in terms of average yards per attempt. So it, it's like what what exactly would you say you do well around here is, is an interesting question. And I don't know if it matters necessarily because they keep winning. Um, it just strikes me as odd that this deep into the season, I thought we might know a little bit more, and we just frankly don't know any more about this team other than, hey, Justin Jefferson's pretty awesome, and man, they keep finding a way to win. Let's finish quick with the cooler. Style points don't matter much in the World Cup. But the USA gave fans uh, some turbulence, some heart attacks along the way, but got it done. And we've seen in group play now how hard it can be to advance um, to the knockout stage. Germany, the last to fall, didn't get through to the round of 16, a devastating outcome for that country. So with the U.S. getting ready for that knockout game tomorrow against the Netherlands, um, I just let's try to enjoy this one because this is it's pretty impressive to me that they got this far. I know there was expectations that they would. I know expectations will be even you know, 10 times greater in 2026 when all of these players are four years older and the U.S. is hosting the World Cup, but this is an accomplishment. I think I still think this is an accomplishment to get this far, even if the group they were in was not, you know, the hardest group of all. Um, that they made it to this round, and that they still have a chance to to do some pretty special things. So let's let's uh, let's appreciate the fact that they got through, 
and uh, and worry a little bit less about the style points along the way. That will do it for me today. Should be back on Monday with Patrick Royce. He should have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about Vikings versus Jets. We will know where the Gophers are going in their bowl game, according to Randy Johnson. Looks like either the Pinstripe Bowl in New York or the Music City Bowl, perhaps, in Nashville. So we'll see how that all shakes out um, as we go forward. Plenty, like I said, to talk about beyond that. Until then, enjoy your weekend. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Monday.